Welcome to the prolific teaching ministry of Pastor Emmanuel Iren, lead pastor of Celebration Church International. It is his vision to partner with you for your progress and joy in the faith. Ready, set, grow. Or something. Thank you, Jesus. All right, let's do this. Psalm chapter 9 from verse 1. Are you ready to read that with me? One, two, go. I will praise you, O Lord, with my whole heart. I will tell of your marvelous works. It says, I will praise you with my whole heart. Can you say that I will praise you with my whole heart? Look at Psalm 101. Psalm 111, verse 1. Psalm 111, verse 1. Can you read that together? I will praise the Lord with my whole heart in the assembly of the upright and in the congregation. So it says, praise the Lord. I will praise the Lord with my whole heart. With my whole heart. Look at Psalm 119. We'll read verse 2 and verse 10. Psalm 119, the longest chapter in the Bible. We'll read verse 2 and verse 10. So verse 2, let's read together. One, two, go. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with the whole heart. Look at verse 10. Verse 10. Let's read together. One, two, go. With my whole heart, I have sought you. Oh, let me not wander from your commandments. Now, I'm going to read 138 verse 1 also. Psalm 138 verse 1. 138 verse 1. If you're there, you can read with me. One, two, go. I will praise you with my whole heart before the gods. Sing praises unto thee. Now, this is something important. Of course, what phrase is common to all the verses? With my whole heart. With my whole heart. And this is what you have to understand about spiritual devotion. The how is as important as the what. So, it's not enough to praise. It's not enough to pray. There is a how to it. He says to do it with your whole heart. So the how is as important as the what. Listen, the blessing is not just in the what, it's in the how. There is a way to sing. There is a way to praise. There is a way to pray. He says with your whole heart. So you don't carry out devotion for devotion's sake. Listen, to carry out devotion for devotion's sake is the definition of religion. But to carry out devotion expecting the bliss and the blessing that the Bible says is associated with it, that's true spirituality. With my whole heart. There's an attitude to it. There's a disposition to it. I will praise you with my whole heart. I will seek you with my whole heart. And you know, you know what the Bible says? It says you shall seek him and find him. After that, you have sought him with the whole of your heart. There is a condition. So your worship is not complete until it is entire. Your heart must be saying what your lips are saying. Your desire must be in alignment with your words of worship. That's the condition. Your whole heart. There must be a total energy and desire towards God and from you. 
That's it. So I read it to you. I mean, five times in the book of Psalms, at least five times, there are other references. I read just five. Because this is how to serve God. And just in case you're just joining us, the theme, the teaching theme for this month is sold out. And you see, it's a worldview. It's a perspective to spirituality that is not really common anymore. Some of us have learned to play it cool. You know, just attend church, sing half-heartedly, you know, don't participate. You're the one, they're they are, they are always cajoling. So the church has come up with um, several phrases just to get you to participate. Let your amen be louder. You know, <laughs> if you louder, your blessings. And all those things are not necessary. So sometimes I feel tempted to ask some people, why did you come? Why exactly are you here? Because if you're here, you have to recognize that there is a way to praise God. There is a way to praise. There is a way to sing. And if you're here, you can as well just put your heart to it. And make it your way of devotion, even at home. When it's time to pray, pray well. When it's time to sing, sing well. Hallelujah. Turn your Bibles, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 15. As we build up on this idea. First Timothy chapter 4 verse 15. First Timothy chapter 4 verse 15. Are you there? It says meditate upon these things. Give yourself wholly to them. That your profiting may appear to all. Can you read 1 Timothy 4.15 together? One, two, go. So we just take some key phrases there. First is the word, meditate. Second, the idea of giving yourself wholly to something. And the third, profiting. We start with meditate. What does meditate mean? The Greek word translated meditate is Melateo. Melateo means to revolve in the mind. I like it. In case you don't know what that means, if you've watched um, an Indian movie, you know what I'm saying. And then the guy is going, the lady is going, and they hit each other mistakenly, and then their books fall. And the guy wants to help her pick the book and his hand touches her hand and everything all of a sudden changes. The camera starts panning around them. You know that thing? And the camera is shaking. Panning. That's meditation. To revolve in the mind. Some of you are pretending as if you don't know what I'm saying now. That's what it means. To revolve around an idea in a mind. Can I tell you something? There's a day, one day I'm going to take time to teach on this. One of the greatest attacks of the devil in this generation is, and we don't even know it, he has affected our ability to meditate. An average young person cannot think on an idea long enough. That's what social media addiction has done. Has it ever... I hope you'll be honest. Has it ever happened to you that there is something that you're meant to be bothered about? 
Maybe something is happening to someone and you are even mourning. But in the midst of that, you're crying. <laughs> you're still scrolling to check your news feed. Has it happened to you before? And you caught yourself and you're like, what am I doing? That's a serious attack in this day. And so, gradually, the ability for something to hold onto our heart long enough, we're losing it. We're losing it. So, as you, before, just look at Twitter trends, for instance. For a long time, NSAS was trending. And then after the Lekki Massacre, a few days after, we're back. <laughs> that's when we started seeing Big Brother people trending again. And that's it. So, the fortitude, the mental fortitude to hold on to an idea long enough for us to benefit from it is very scarce. And that's something you have to deal with, especially in your spiritual devotion. If you want to grow spiritually, you have to learn to meditate. Not to just listen to a great sermon and dump your notes. As you go, you ought to ruminate. Get the sermon, play it again. Pray on it. To revolve around the idea in your mind. See different angles to it. Different perspectives to it. Check different translations of the verse. Different commentaries on the verse. Stay on it. it says to meditate upon these things. And then I like what it says next. Oh my goodness. Are you ready for this one? He says, give yourself wholly to it. Holy? This is, this is total contradiction to half-hearted devotion in, in this. You know, some people come to church and they are too cool for God to touch them. Too cool, come and collect it. Hallelujah. And he says, give yourself holy. Throw yourself into it. Have you ever had a very serious exam and everybody around you, you knew something was happening? Some of you know what I'm saying. Those periods, jokes will be annoying you. Has it happened to you? They're like, people are like, guy, laugh now. Hallelujah. Have you ever had a focus, you know, that consumed your entire being? That until it was over, until you wrote that exam, you didn't want to hear any other thing. It says, give yourself only to it. Throw yourself into it. Surround yourself with it. You know, let it carry you. Let it carry, let it enter you and carry you. Give yourself wholly to it. Do you know what it means to surrender yourself to a spiritual idea? It has every core of your being, every single capacity for attention that you are capable of giving, it has it. Give yourself wholly to it. And then he says that your profiting will appear. Meaning, some people wonder, well, I've, I've been in church for such a long time, um, and I won't really say I've benefited much. There's a reason 
If it's going to benefit you, there has to be a position, a disposition. There's a disposition that works. If you don't give yourself wholly to it, your profiting will not appear. Are you getting what I'm saying? Your profiting will not appear. This is the devotional disposition that works. It has to be 100% for it to work. If your profiting will appear, give yourself holy, throw yourself into it, then people will see it. You won't have to tell people, oh, I've been studying. From your communication, they will know. It says your profiting will appear. They will know. Something has changed about you. From your demeanor, the way you talk, the way you carry yourself. Something, there is a new grace about your life. It says you're profiting. People will identify it. The Bible says they took notice of the disciples that they had been with Christ. That people begin to say, there's something about you. You know, I was a decent guy, even in secondary school. But I got to the university, and that's where my work with God really started. I got filled with the Spirit. And one day I had to go to my secondary school just for, I think, one of my papers or something like that to get one certificate. I think it was NECO or something like that. And as I got into the teacher's, the staff room, one woman kept looking at me funny. And so after I was done and I was working out, she followed me. She said, I want to ask you something. She said, tell me what has changed about you. I said, what do you mean? She said, I can't explain it, but I know something has changed. She says, there is a calmness. There's an aura about you that has changed. I can't help but notice. She followed me out to ask. I mean, we were on the road outside the school. And I said, oh, well, I'm born again. I'm filled with the Spirit. She said, I knew it. She said, I knew it. Now, I didn't have to go there and announce, oh, I'm a different person. Ah, there was something. She followed to ask, sorry, don't be upset. Something has changed. Hallelujah. There are different types of spirituality. There's the type you have to announce just to get the applause of people. Then there are the type, I mean, the Bible says, a city set on a hill cannot be hidden. A city set on a hill cannot be what? Listen, if you just joined this church, I want you to know what you have come into. <laughs> Something is about to change in your life. I'm telling you. Something drastic and positive. You know, one day, um, we're going for a conference. Piki and I and some other people, I can't remember who. And we're praying. This was years ago. We didn't even have a vehicle. So we got to a, you know, a place where there were bikes. We were about to enter bike, Okada. And one guy came to me looking funny, you know, looking at me, trying to look at me in the eye. And then... For those of you who understand Yoruba, you know what this means. He said, That's what he said. This is just, this was Mushin Bostop. He says, your eye looks like the Holy Ghost. And I knew exactly what he was talking about. 
Because when we're done praying, there was fire. I knew it. <laughs> Hallelujah. Say thank you, Jesus. It says your profiting will appear. People will notice it. Hallelujah. This is the sold out we are talking about. That you might have been in church all your life without really paying attention. But when you open your heart and you allow the word of God take a hold of you, ah, it will shake you and people will know it. People will see it. It will show in your office. It will show on your street. It will show everywhere you go. They will know you've been with Christ. But it all starts with a disposition and attitude. He says, give yourself holy. Holy. You don't come to church without a writing material. You don't come to church and not participate. Do you know how... <clears throat> Let me tell you something. In our kingdom, lack of response to spiritual things is a very huge vital sign. You know what vital sign is? Medic, when, when you go to a hospital, no matter what your complaint is, they will first check your vitals. And from your temperature, your pressure, I mean, that already gives the doctor a clue, a diagnosis. Do you understand what I'm saying? Spiritually, when you see someone in a great atmosphere of worship, everybody is worshiping and the person is seated. Ah! So you want to get here. <laughs> it's a sign. Because lack of responsiveness to the Spirit of God is a huge symptom. I'm telling you. Jesus said to Peter, he said, get thee behind me, Satan. For you savor not the things that be of God. That appetite. That appetite is very important. It's a sign. You savor not. When you come to a point where you can go one week without praying. Someone is like, oh, one week, sir. We did go one month. <laughs> without praying. And you are okay. Don't wait till things get bad. There are some things. You see, in medicine, it is not until um, something devastating happens to a person's health. From the temperature, the blood pressure, even if he's not feeling anything, even if he tells you he's feeling well, there are sometimes, once they check your vitals, they will put you on admission immediately. The same thing applies spiritually. Hallelujah. That in an atmosphere of prayer, you don't pray. In an atmosphere of worship, you don't worship. It's a huge sign. For you, it's just... And then you even have a justification. Must I stand up? And mind you, I'm not saying some people participate more sitting down than others standing up. I'm not saying standing up, sitting down. But if you're not participating, you know. No matter the defense you come up with. So Paul says, give yourself wholly to it and your profiting will what? It's a simple law of the Spirit. That no matter how the power of the Spirit is moving in a place, your receptiveness matters. That's why Paul told the church at Thessalonica, he said, quench not the spirit because you can douse the effect of the spirit in your life. 
You may not be able to stop the spirit from moving in a place, but you can stop the spirit from moving in your life. He said, quench not the spirit. Like a fire, you can extinguish the effect of the spirit in your life. I'm telling you. So it's an advice. Quench not the spirit. And how do you make sure you don't quench the spirit? By giving yourself holy. Let him touch you. Let him have your attention. Be fully receptive. The major thing I want to focus on today is the concept of profiting. It says that your profiting may appear to all. The Greek word is prokope. Prokope actually means advancement. So you can make progress in spiritual things. So this is where I was when I joined the church. This is where I am now. In my understanding, I've grown. Oh, good stuff. But I like the fact that it says profiting. You see, in our culture, we have a perspective that only, our only perspective of profit is money. And even in commerce, in the business world, there is something called goodwill. Have you heard about it? That someone may be stranded, but all he needs is a phone call. This generation, we don't understand. Have you seen people who will swindle people that they should have built long-term business relationships with? People don't understand that. You know, I will never forget this barber, you know, that someone recommended. It's a young guy, very good. And when I saw the way he was cutting my hair, I, I was telling Picky, I said, ah, let's do something for this guy. Can we get him a shop? You know, can we set him up and everything? And we're already talking about it. But of course, the guy did not know that we were planning. Then I traveled to Abuja. I needed another haircut. Um, I bring out my clipper bag, give the, the barber, and then the barber dead brings out the clipper and he's like, ah, sir, this clipper is bad. I said, what do you mean? Clipper that I just bought two months ago. Bring it, let me see. And I saw that this barber guy that we were trying to help had switched my clipper for an old, useless one. And in his mind, he has swindled me. Ah, that clipper, maybe maximum 25,000. And we were planning to set him up. That now, in his mind, he's smart. That's the bane of this generation. There's something called goodwill. Many times, goodwill is worth more than money. Someone may not have money in his pocket, but the networks that he has, can, doors will open to him just by phone calls. Are you getting what I'm saying? The same thing applies to spiritual things. There is profiting in God, I'm telling you. Profiting that you grow in the understanding of who you are in Christ. Just take for instance, you're a successful person, you know, very brilliant, and I'm telling you what I have seen with my eyes. Then, in your office, someone is envious of you and then charms you. And maybe it affects your health, affects your mind or something. What then is the benefit of all your hard work all the, no, the only knowledge you've acquired 
is scientific knowledge. I'm telling you what I, I see every day. Praise the name of the Lord. One of the members of this ministry, I'll tell you how we met. We met in school. Very bright chap, very bright. Finished, I think, with nine A's, Waek. Um, entered the school, first two semesters in engineering, 5.0, 5.0, you know, and then the enemy struck. He was going to lose his mind. It's a long story. Now, the parents have tried many things, taking him to many places. You know, nothing was happening. And, um, and now, they have everything going on from them, for, for them. Privileged family, smart child, but now there's a spiritual attack. And then one day, you, you were there, I think you came later. One day, I was passing the young man and I just sensed demonic presence. So I called him, I said, can I pray for you? He said, yes, we went into a small office. This was in school. The moment I laid hands on him, another voice came out. And that's when we started hearing history. I, I will spare you the details. <laughs> but the long and short of it was, after a few minutes, the demons left. And then this boy who had gone through all kinds of medical procedures, gone to all kinds of places, was instantly healed. This was years ago, almost 10 years ago. It should be more than, he's working in a multinational now, he's out of the country, fine. Glory be to God. Now, I've seen many things. Another family, you know, in the Abuja church, two sisters, both of them had, you know, hormonal issues were bleeding consistently, like someone here who is about to be healed. And both of them came to the church first-timers, and they were healed on the spot. Now, I thank God for that, but it makes me annoyed at the devil. That people who don't know God, you know, he's, he's cheating ignorant people. He's cheating ignorant people. So, there is another type of profit you should be aware of. Ah, if you grow in your knowledge of God, that's profit. It pays. And so he says your profiting will appear. And if your only idea of profit is financial profit, I feel sorry for you. This is another profit he's talking about. And I dare say, this one is worth more than money. One day, a magician saw, you know, <laughs> saw someone getting people filled with the Spirit. He offered money. He offered money, you know, and the response was, your money perish with you. This is, you can't buy this with money. But the point is, he saw value in this thing. That how can I get it? Can I give you money, will you? I, I, I want to be able to lay hands on people and they receive the Holy Ghost. This same Holy Ghost that you have and maybe you take for granted. Hallelujah. Tell the person by your side gently. Say, let your profiting appear to all. <laughs> say, we want to see it. We want to see it. Yes. 
one of the strategies of the enemy in these last days is he wants to mess up our concept of value. I wish I had enough time to really dwell on this. It is, I, let me call it the error of Belshazzar. I will use two examples. I'll call it the error of Belshazzar and the error of Esau. I will just tell those two stories. So Belshazzar, you know, was a typical modern day youth sold out to entertainment at any cost. Anything that will entertain me, let me do it. And so this guy was king, having a nice time. There was a party, and they were drinking, having a nice time. And they were like, how do we take this party to another level? So they said, go and bring the golden vessels in the temple of Jerusalem. The, the vessels from the temple of Jerusalem. So all those cups and plates that they use for shoe bread and all those sacred things, they brought it to the party and they started drinking and entertaining themselves. The things that were meant for the service of God. Are you paying attention to this? That's what this, the devil is trying to do with this generation. To bring you to a place where nothing is sacred to you. Are you getting what I'm saying? It's the oldest principle in the devil's rule book. Why would God say you cannot eat of this tree? Why would God say that? But you, can I tell you something? In your life, there must be some things that are sacred. There should be some things that you cannot say. Some places that you cannot do. Some things that you cannot touch. The devil will say, did God say? Did God say? It's good for you. That's what the devil will do. And so, I mean, Belshazzar had the same ideology. Why would there be some cups that cannot be used? What do you mean oh, is for God? Bring it. Let's drink and have fun. As he was drinking, listen, pay attention to this. As he was drinking, he saw a hand. <laughs> he cleaned his eye. He thought it was the alcohol. I've drank too much, you know. But the hand was there. He asked the person by his side. Are you seeing what I'm saying? They said yes. He asked the servants that are sober. Can you see what I'm saying? They said yes. A hand. Writing on the wall, menetekel of asim. You know, so he didn't know what it meant, but he knew it meant trouble. <laughs> That's where many in this generation are headed. They just don't know it. I'm telling you, menetekel of asim is where this generation is headed, where your view of entertainment is without sacredness. You can do anything. You can say anything. Nobody can tell you, you know, we put it in the songs that we sing. Spice Girls, man, were raining when I was in like JS2. It says, there's a song they, they sang, go on and do it. Who made these rules anyway? Put your skirt down, put your, you know. And the, many of the people following them are preteens. Nine-year-olds to 13. And you're saying, don't listen to your parents. Cast off virtual restraints. Live the way you want to live. It's the spirit of this age. And God's response has been the same. You have been measured. Ah, yeah, 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 yeah. 
if you understand that Greek word, that Hebrew word, it means you no longer have so much time to live. I'm telling you, I wish I could explain the doctrine of reprobacy. It's a doctrine that there is, there is only so far you can go with error. It gets to a point where God says, enough, I'm taking you from here. Belshazzar might have been, must have been contradicting these principles for long. But when he went so far as to take cups that were meant for the most holy place to drink, God said, you have been measured. Your kingdom has been measured. That's when you realize that all the greatness that the world celebrates is still so small in God's eyes. It says you have been measured like time up. And it says, your kingdoms will be given to other nations. He mentioned all the nations. Persia, they will divide your inheritance. The inheritance that made you proud against God is going. It's a very similar story to the story of the man in Luke chapter 12. Jesus said, beware of covetousness. It says, a man's life, verse 15, does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. Isn't it strange? You hardly hear this thought in church these days. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. And he gave an example of a man who had much gain from business. And he built big bands. And when the bands were full, instead of you, now, it's, you already have money. Help people. He said, no, I will tear down those bands, build bigger ones. And God told him the same thing he told Belshazzar. That's what I'm telling you is a principle in God. He said, today your soul will be required of you, meaning you are going to die. He says, and when you die, I will see what will become of these things you have so jealously guarded. It's something to be weary of. You, you must have some things that are sacred in your life. Praise the name of Jesus. Have sick times of the day, if you can. And I know people have mocked it a lot, but it is good to have sacred percentages of your wealth. It's just a smart principle to have. This one, for God. I won't argue the percentage with you, but I'm saying have it. Praise the Lord. Yeah. I'm not saying if you don't tithe, any devourer will devour you. It's not true. I'm giving you a wisdom in God. Have it. Because there is profiting in God. Let me give you the example of, of Esau now. And you won't really understand the story of Esau if you only read Genesis. But that story is very sad. But if you're not a good student of history, you will make the same mistake that others made. Esau is a farmer. He's a hunter, I beg your pardon. He had gone to hunt. He came with game on his shoulder. He was successful in hunting. An animal was already on your shoulder. It was going to take just minutes for you to cook your own. But you see your brother's porridge. 
And now you're like, I, I, I would die. Give me food. I would die. That I will die. This concept of idolizing appetite is the bane of this generation. So give me food. And the brother said, the brother knew him, knew who he was talking to. I, I don't really have time to explain. The brother said, well, give me first your birthright. And you know what Esau said? He didn't, Esau didn't even argue, how, why would you ask for birthright? Am I not, not your brother? There was no conversation. He said, birthright? They're talking about birthright when I'm hungry. See, what is birthright? So not only, it wasn't just about him, him giving up the birthright. It was about the fact that he never held it to be anything valuable. Do you understand that? That's what I'm talking about. Some people hold nothing sacred in their life. They're like, what is... Some people, when they're angry, they say, Jesus, my foot. Or, or, have you seen people make silly statements? You're angry, so you tweet anyhow on Twitter. Just for likes and comments. I, I assure you, I assure you, God watches. God watches. Your own might be your Twitter wall. Menetic. <laughs> because it's a wall too. Spiritual people hold things sacred. We're not careless. You don't talk anyhow. You don't tweet anyhow. In our kingdom, you can be correct and still enter trouble. Do you know? <laughs> hey, God. I wish I had time to teach you. Let me tell you something. It is not everything you must have an opinion on. There's a wisdom. Study from Jesus. Should we pay taxes? Say yes or no question. But not everything. Don't let them pressure you. Yes or no. Mm -mm. A wise person knows that not every question is that, is that straightforward. You say, whose face is on it? Give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. And to God what belongs to God. You must learn that wisdom. There is a time to keep quiet. You, must, you mustn't always have an opinion. Praise the name of the Lord. Esau said, what is my birthright? Okay, I swear, I've relinquished it to you. So now, I was meant to be the one, the lineage through which Christ will be born. But I'm going to lose it over porridge. That's what happened. And it wasn't just about food. Turn your Bibles with me. Let me read something from the New Testament. Are you learning anything? Look at Hebrews 12, 16. Hebrews 12, 16. It says, lest there be any fornicator or profane person as Esau. 
who for a morsel of meat sold his birthright. So, it wasn't just appetite for food, it was appetite generally. Esau couldn't control any appetite. He was a profane person. This is not talking about profanity, you know, in terms of he used to swear. He swears a lot. No. A profane person is someone who holds nothing sacred. You've, you've done business with people like that. They don't value agreements. Have you seen people? They can sign and they will still break it. Their, their words mean nothing. It's very common in this generation. See, he was a profane person. Look at his marital choices, the same thing. Because of the sensitivity of his lineage, there was a clear instruction, and, and, and there's an explanation to this. This is not against intertribal marriage. In this context, the Jews were the only ones who knew the living God, and that's why they were instructed, marry amongst each other. It's just the same way um, a Christian should marry a Christian. I hope you know that, right? Okay. <laughs> I wanted to be sure now. All right. You know, it's just the same way. But not only did he marry non-Jews, he married plenty. Canaanite, he, he was a collector. <laughs> and the Bible says his parents were grieved. The way he went about it grieved his parents, grieved their spirits. That was Esau. So it wasn't just food, it was appetite. And it, it was... It was an entertainment craving, an insatiable entertainment craving. People who will do anything for comfort. That was Esau. That was Esau. And so, you might be going that route without knowing. That's what I'm telling you. And so he's warning you so that you don't think it is a one-off. He says, don't be like Esau. Who was a profane person? There must be something worth more than gold to you. Say loud, amen. amen. And what is that thing? I'll round off, you know, by sharing a few texts. I'll read just three verses or three texts on the value of spirituality. Turn your Bibles, Matthew chapter 13, verse 44. Matthew chapter 13, verse 44. I love this story. Jesus is talking. Pay attention to this. It says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure. See, if you grew up, you know, in a church that, I'm saying this respectfully, did not really paint a perfect picture of the gospel. Let me, let me put it this way for you. The gospel in this country is still less than 100 years old. And so... The fathers, they had a slightly different priority. In their generation, the number one priority is to, was to show that God is more powerful than Satan. <laughs> because in their generation, a lot of people had a shrine in the house, you know, and all of that. And that's why there, there seemed to be a lot of emphasis on miracles. You see that? And now, now that the gospel has been established, we need to go further, do better than them establishing the truths of the gospel. Do you understand what I'm saying? 
So it is not, don't, um, don't look at that generation with disdain, but just improve. And understand that now we can go deeper and say, understand the Bible. Is, is after you win the war in the household, the people that are trying to kill you, that you can sit down and start studying Philippians verse by verse. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? So, so I'm, just, I'm just saying that. But at the same time, now, the kingdom of heaven must be seen the way God will have you see it. It says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure. We never saw it as a treasure growing up. I don't know about you. We got born again, many of us, because we didn't want to die. We didn't want to go to hell. We watched all those, you know, terrible movies. And I don't want to give examples. Some of them, you know, added to our fear level. <laughs> Instead of adding to our faith, added to our fear. You know, so we came out to escape damnation, you know, and, that, and that's good. But as later we started hearing that the gospel is good news. That there is not just a warning aspect to the gospel, there is a good news dimension to the gospel. And so he's saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hid in a field, which when a man had found for joy, he goes and sells all that he has to buy it. This changes everything you've known about spirituality. What you knew about spirituality before, oh, you're going to sacrifice a lot for the gospel. It's worth it. It's hard. And then you're almost giving God that vibe, like, God, you see all that I'm missing because of you. You see, <laughs> you see all that I'm missing because of you. But this guy, the gospel was going to cost him all he had, and he did it with joy. Because he saw it as a smart move, even financially. The title of this sermon is Profit and Loss. Do you understand what I'm saying? Where you weigh the cost of consecration and you say God is worth it. And you do it with joy. Look at what he said next. Look at verse 45. It says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant. So now you can imagine maybe a religious fanatic giving up all he has because of Jesus. But he says, even a businessman would do the same if he understands what is at stake. He says, it's like a merchant seeking goodly pearls. So this is what he does for business. He's seeking goodly pearls and he finds one pearl of great price, which is the gospel, which is the kingdom. And went and sold all he had to buy it. So even through the lenses of commerce, the gospel is worth more than everything you have. And if you have to sell everything you have for that gospel, it will still be worth it. Are you listening to what I'm saying? The gospel is very valuable. It makes business sense to a merchant, not to a religious fanatic. To a merchant, he's seeking goodly pearls. And then he finds one. Oh, all that I have, no matter how great, like the words of Solomon, remember the words of Solomon? He said, all is vanity. Eh? A vexation of spirit. That no matter how much I have, I will die one day and someone else will inherit it. 
It says, and who knows if the person inherits it will be a wise person or a fool. Who knows? When you go, if your children decide to be foolish, everyone alive has the privilege of foolishness. It's a right, a human right, that you can be foolish with the decisions of your life and nobody can do anything about it. And so you, with prudence, you gather and your son scatters. So he says, the fact that life is limited makes money useless. That was Solomon's finding. He said there is time for everything. A time to plant, a time to harvest, a time to be born, a time to die. So that time factor was his problem. And now as a merchant, you discover that there is a way to have eternal life. And that no matter how great you are in this life, it is infinitely insignificant compared to eternity. That even a hundred years in this life is still short compared to eternity. And that everyone actually, strictly speaking, has eternal life. It just matters where. <laughs> and so the decisions I make in this life will influence the other life. So if I sacrifice everything I have here for that to make sense, then that's a good deal. I can sell all that I have here for this great pearl. That's what he's saying. And even scientifically, there are things that scientists don't understand. There is something called the near-death experience where doctors discover that many people in the hospital who their machine reads dead, dead, died for a few minutes. And many of them will come back saying, oh, they had experiences after they died. They were elevated. You know, this is scientific experience, not church stories, though. They were elevated in the room. They saw their body down. They saw the doctors. They heard conversations. There was a particular story. The doctors had left the theater. They were talking in the office. This guy went to that place where they were talking. Heard all their conversations that were in private. So by the time he came back and he was telling them what they were saying, he, they knew he couldn't have been lying. How do you explain that? So even scientifically, God has given us signs that this is not a story. It's not just a mere story. There is life after death. You have to think about this. And if you are so scientific, you want to see it for yourself before you believe. It will be too late. And so it makes financial sense. I'm talking about profit. And it makes financial sense. If you're a merchant and all you do, you're doing it for the money. Even if you want to be selfish about it, it pays to serve God. It pays. You have to learn to weigh the costs. And when you discover that Jesus is worth it, you throw your life in his direction. All the things that you valued before, like the Bible says the 24 elders, they cast their golden crowns. They didn't put it down. They didn't put it down gently that, oh, it's time to pray. You know, they flung it. Where you see Jesus, you see his glory, his beauty. You realize he's worth more than everything you've labored for in your life. You cut all your achievements, all your accolades, you fling it. And then you worship. Because he deserves it. Turn the Bible to the book of Mark. Mark chapter 8, that's the last text we're going to read today. Thank you, Lord. 
Just sing this with me briefly. Father, how I love you. I lay my life before you. And I, I adore you. Do you know the song? Say, Father, how I love you. I lay my life before you. And I adore. Sing, Father, the how I love you I lay my life I lay my life before you and I adore it's a song of consecration look at Mark chapter 8 verse 37 Mark 8, 37. Look at, let's start from verse 35. It says, For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. And whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and for the gospels, the same shall save it. Verse 36. I wish I had enough time to dwell on 35. Verse 36. It says, For what shall it Profit a man. I like the fact that he's talking about profit. He's talking in financial terms. He's saying even financially, measure it, reason it. What's your gain? If you gain the whole world, he's talking in commerce. This is accounting. What? Does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? So, in finances, they teach you about profit and loss. The fact that um, you had sales of 1,000, but your recurrent expenditure is 10,000, that's still a loss. Are you getting what I'm saying? You can lose so bad that your sales don't matter anymore. And that's what he's trying to tell you. If you gain the whole world, do you know what gaining the whole world is? That Dangote says, what's your account number? You give him his account, your, your account number. And then all his, all, his, all his wealth, he relinquishes it to you. Liquidates all his resources deposit it to your account. The account will shake, you know now. Physically. Maybe your alert is usually, tum, tum, this one will be bass. <laughs> this one will be bass. The screen will break. Zuckerberg calls you also. What's your account number? Sends all his wealth. And then the owner of Tesla also calls you. Sends all his wealth. Then nations begin to call you. They give to you all their wealth, all their treasury. They, they, they put it in your name. Think about how much money that would be. 
But he says, if you gain the whole world, if every single all well, every single bank, every single resource belong to you, if you gain the whole world and you lose your soul, he said, your soul is still worth more. Listen, in this generation, this is something that must be taught. Because the devil, oh my goodness, the devil is making people lose their soul. The worth of the soul is not known in this generation. And Jesus is putting things in terms of financial value. Your soul is worth more than every wealth known to man. That if every single person that has money gives only you, your soul will still be worth more. That if you wait on the balance, all the banks in the world, all the resources, all the gold, all the silver, it will not be able to topple your soul. Your soul is worth more. You've spent so much to build your mind. You've gone to schools. You say church is far, but have you noticed school is never far? You can travel abroad to study. Travel abroad for a medical appointment. But when it comes to church, what value have you made? You can't just choose a church that is close to your house. Your soul is worth more. You've demonstrated so much value for much less. Don't you understand? See how you studied to master mathematics, engineering, medicine. The amount of labor in studies. The amount of coffee you drank. All the times you were tired, you stood up. But when it's time to pray, you sleep. When you need to study and you're feeling sleepy, you know what you do. But when it is time to pray and you're feeling sleepy, you sleep. Why? It's a value problem. It's a value problem. And he's telling you your soul is worth more. Your soul is worth more. Whatever you lose to keep your soul is worth it. As you deal in the business world, some people will try to get you to do some type of business to defile your conscience. I'm telling you ahead of time. Your soul is worth more. Nothing is worth your peace. Nothing. Remember this. Remember. Listen, you will be tested. One day the devil will take you to the high mountain. You will see all the glories of the world. And he will tell you, right this moment, if you will bow, I'll give it to you. You will see opportunities that if you accept, you'll be able to afford any car you want, any house you want. You, you will get those opportunities soon. In fact, someone here, the Lord is preparing you. Maybe that's what they are tempting you with now. I'm telling you, your soul is worth more. And like he told Jesus, he would say, why go through all that process, go to the cross, die for what? If you would just bow, this is a shortcut. Bow to me now, I'll give you. Hallelujah. And this is the balance to everything you learn in church. That it is true God blesses. It is true God provides. But sometimes, if it is at the expense of my work with God, I will embrace. Are you, getting, are you ready for this? Let me embrace what might seem like temporary lack. I will embrace it with all my heart. Because my soul is worth more. And Jesus is worth more. Worth more than gold. And when the temptation is over and you are left where you started in the wilderness, still hungry, 
knowing that if you had succumbed to that spiritual temptation, you would have had all things. You will still embrace that hunger. And you guess what? The Bible says the angels of God came and ministered to him and strengthened him. There is a strength that will come in that season only after you recognize the value of your soul. Your soul is worth more. You may not have heard it a lot. In our generation, they only assess you based on your physical attributes. I'm telling you, your soul is worth more. Guess what? It was worth the blood of Christ. He died for that soul of yours. He died. No matter what anyone tells you, they might judge you by the color of your skin, the size of your eyeballs, the size of your head, how high, you know, how tall you are, how short you are. Your soul is worth more. Never use your body to lose your soul. Never because of money lose your soul. Never because of the applause of men lose your soul. Hallelujah. And start acting like someone who knows the worth of his soul. If, even if you are not sure now, consider it. If Jesus considered this soul worth dying for, it must be worth something special. So when you wake up in the morning, don't just nourish your body. You nourish your body through sleep, through food. What about your soul? You nourish your mind. You train your mind in arithmetics. When you were growing up, you didn't know two times five. Now you can do complex arithmetics. You've trained your mind. What about your soul? You will pay attention to the church you attend, the songs you listen to. You keep your soul. Nourish your soul. You must pray this week. Please invest this time on your own. See value in what we are doing. Invest in yourself. The Bible says Jesus fasted and he was hungry. There is no spiritual gift for fasting. Hmm? No spiritual gift. If you fast, you'll be hungry. There's no grace for that. In the Bible. Anybody that tells you it's, it's not true. Alright? If you fast, you'll be hungry. So when you're hungry, don't be surprised. What, do you, what were you expecting? That, ah, I'm hungry. Yes, you're fasting. Duh. That means he's walking. Hallelujah. Focus on God. Hallelujah. What 10 days of fast can give you can take away 10 years of labor. Focus on it. See, invest that time for your spirit. Enough has been said. Please stand to your feet. Hallelujah. Thank you for listening. We are sure that you have been blessed. For inquiries, reach us on our helpline 0809-996-7000. Blessings.